Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. We invite all those who are able to stand for the reading of the Word of God with, out of respect and with solidarity with Christians around the world. Our reading comes to us today through the power of the Spirit from the prophet Isaiah chapter 40. Let us attend to the wisdom of the Word of the Lord. Comfort. Oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings, lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might and His arm rules for Him. His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has instructed him? Whom did he consult for his enlightenment and who taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Even the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. See, he takes up the isles like fine dust. Lebanon would not provide fuel enough, nor are its animals enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with Him? An idol? A workman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. As a gift, one chooses mulberry wood, wood that will not rot, then seeks out a skilled artisan to set up an image that will not topple. Have you not known? 
Have you not heard? Has it not been told from you the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in, who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows upon them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your, uh, your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host and numbers them, calling them all by name. Because he is great in strength, mighty in power. Not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. For even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Once again, those who are able are invited to stand for our second lesson comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew in the fifth chapter as we continue a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. We pick up with verse 21. Listen to God's Word. Jesus said, You have heard it said to those of old, You shall not kill, and whoever kills shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister shall be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister shall be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool shall be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or your sister has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to the other, and then come and offer your gift. Make friends quickly with your accuser while you are going with that one to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and the guard put you in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out till you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at another lustfully has already committed adultery in his or her heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces, except on the ground of unchastity, makes that one an adulteress, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said, to the men and the women of old, you shall not swear falsely, 
but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Will you pray with me, please? O loving Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable and pleasing and life-giving in Your sight. O Lord, You are our rock. You are our Redeemer. We pray in the name of Your Son, our Savior. Amen. Now, perhaps you have been on one side or the other of a conversation that goes something like this. Dad, I was wondering if after the prom I could go out with some friends down by the river. We're going to spend the night on Sam's property. And the reply is, Chuck, we've already talked about this. Your mom and I have told you that after the prom you have a curfew and we want you home at that time. But Dad, all of my friends are going to be there and their parents said it was okay. We are not everybody else. Your mother and I are your parents, and we have told you that you have a curfew to observe. Well, I'm going to be the only one who's not there, and I just want one good reason why I can't go. Because I said so. Now, you've probably heard, remember, or recently participated in a, con in a conversation like this, and if not, and if you're a parent, hold tight, you are going to have a conversation like this one a time or two. And now this example that I've opened with may not be an exact parallel of what we hear Jesus saying in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. But six times in the remainder of this chapter, four times that we have read about today, Jesus has said, you have heard it said, but I say so. And there's a ring of parental authority of sorts in Jesus' words. You've heard everybody else say that the law says this, demands this, requires this about your life, about your conduct. But I say you are not everybody. And you are called. You are called to live away, to pursue a higher purpose, to find a deeper and truer path and calling, and to seek true righteousness. You're not those who go along with the crowd. One can almost hear the disciples or the other listeners on the hillside there above the Sea of Galilee outside of Capernaum saying, but why? Why, Jesus? Just give me one good reason. And Jesus' answer is in a sense, because I said so. In this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is establishing Himself as one with authority. A voice, a wisdom, a truth that people had not heard prior to this time. Jesus' approach is much different to anything that they had heard a teacher of the law, a scribe, or a Pharisee say. William Barclay, commenting on this portion of Scripture, says, here Jesus speaks 
with an authority which no other person had dreamed of assuming. The people are amazed who came in contact with Jesus. And Jesus did not need anyone to bestow this authority upon Him. It, it, was, it was only sufficient for Him to speak. For Jesus' authority is given by God. We heard the words at Jesus' baptism, this is My Son with whom I am well pleased. We heard at the Mount of the Transfiguration the Word from heaven again saying, this is My Son. Listen to Him. And when one is truly listening to Jesus, like in the temple, or like those listening to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does not teach like the scribes and the Pharisees. They hear one who the Scriptures say taught as one with authority. Very different than the Jewish teachers who, were, who had their characteristic phrases in their, in their teaching, who spoke like the prophets, and, and their catchphrase was, thus says the Lord. They claimed no personal authority, and they dared never to express their own personal opinion without backing it up by the word of the Lord. Yet Jesus required no such authority from another. Jesus was His own authority. The authority of God Himself. You have heard it said, but I say to you, By this, Jesus was taking the law and pushing it and stretching it. He was not abolishing it. Jesus is deepening and elevating the law. And yes, it is true that in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, life, the law is fulfilled. The penalty is paid. A perfect sacrifice is made. But this is done not so that we may say Jesus Christ is the end of the law and now I can do as I like but rather Jesus calls His followers, as we heard in last week's lesson from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls His followers to a righteousness that must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And so what does Jesus mean by this? The scribes and the Pharisees, they sought and they taught to live the law, to satisfy the demands of the law, and they even believed that it was possible to accomplish this. And so they sought to dot every I, to cross every T, as if checking it off of a celestial list of goodness. Do you remember the man who came to Jesus and said to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responded, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not bear false witness. And you shall not defraud your parents. And the man replied, Well, teacher, I have kept all of these since I was a young lad. And Jesus looked on this one, and the Scriptures say He loved him. And Jesus replied, Then go 
Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. Jesus looked on that man and loved him. And the words that he spoke to him were full of love and demands. For the man was missing the point. His mo- the motive is not to keep the law so that, so that one can say, I have done all that the law demands. My duty is discharged. The law has no more claim over me. No In the same way that Jesus was looking upon this man and loving him, Jesus looked upon those who heard his sermon and looks upon us today and loves us. And Jesus calls us to follow. To follow with a motivation that is born out of love. His love. In every thought and word and deed, as one has said, to show our wondering gratitude for the love wherewith God has loved us in Jesus Christ. And clearly, going this way, following this one, is a demanding call. Theoretically, we are not able to satisfy this claim of love. For if we seek to love someone, if we seek to love God with all of our heart, we are bound to feel feel that even a lifetime of service and sacrifice is not adequate enough. I remember the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and it was Martha Stanford's favorite. Every time I think of this hymn, I think of that great matriarch of our church. And she loved the line best that said, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Where the Jew aimed to satisfy the law to which there is always a limit, The Christian aims to show gratitude for the love of God in Jesus Christ of which there is no limit in time or eternity. We sing in the great hymn, Amazing Grace, when we've been there, how long? 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And Jesus is sitting before His hearers and before us, and Jesus is saying that it is more than just about the law of God. Jesus is saying, you have heard that it is said about the law, but what I am saying to you is about the law. Yes, the law of love. A long time ago, a patriarch of the church, a church father, Augustine, said the Christian life can be summed up in one one phrase. Listen to this. Love God and do what you like. Chew on that. Pray on that for a while. For can't we agree that if we are loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we will find ourselves loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. And when we love God, we realize that God, what God has done for us and our one desire of life is to answer that love 
that places an obligation on us that is more binding than any obligation generated out of simply following the law. So when Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say, Jesus is calling us to a higher and to a deeper devotion. Jesus is not relaxing the law. Jesus is not diluting the law. Jesus is not dismissing the law. But Jesus is calling us to a fuller, a richer, a freer, and a more joyful life in Him. And so I want to look quickly at what Jesus has said in this teaching and how we can then apply it to our lives. For first Jesus said, you have heard it said, you shall not kill. But I say to you, anyone who is angry with their brother or their sister is liable to the same judgment. And there are many of us today who can say, well, I've never killed anyone, so I can check that commandment off the list. But Jesus says anyone who has thought about killing someone or causing bodily harm to another is liable to the same judgment and punishment. How many of you have thought about killing somebody or hurting somebody? Most of you are being honest today. But Jesus is teaching here that love is more than our actions. Love is all-encompassing and takes in, yes, even our thoughts. And Jesus goes on to say, if you are at worship and ready to give your offering and come to the altar and you realize that you have something against a brother or sister, go to them immediately and reconcile with them. Be reconciled with them. And if you find yourself going to court to settle something, settle it then and there. Because once you get into the court and get all tangled up in the law and the councils, there's no telling where you may wind up and whether you will ever get out of it or not. You know, there are numerous beautiful illustrations of people who have been moved by the Spirit of God to go to another and to be reconciled and to bridge some kind of divide or division. I remember a beautiful story in a church that was very conflicted and people had fought bitterly. And a woman shared this story that for, that, that for Sunday after Sunday she would see this one gentleman that was on the other side of the issue from her and she looked upon him and despised him. And this went on for ten years. Until one day she said, I looked at him and loved him. And they were reconciled. And sometimes it may take 10 years, I pray not, maybe 10 months, or maybe just 10 minutes. And worship provides us the opportunity to reconcile the beautiful part of our worship where we are called as those who have received the peace of Christ to be those who share the peace of Christ with one another. It's called the passing of the peace. You say, well, I don't really feel like that. I don't know those people. That's not what it's about. It's about getting right thinking. Now listen to this. It's about getting your thinking right. I am a recipient of peace. I am a passer of God's peace. And then it is doing that. It is getting the right actions to follow. And then after we are thinking right and acting in a right manner, then the right feelings come. If we waited for the right feelings to do what it is that Jesus is calling us to do, it may never happen. Right thinking, right actions, right feeling. 
And Jesus said, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say, if you've looked lustfully at another and thought about doing that thing with another, it's as good as committing it. Oh, how we need to hear this word today where our eyes are polluted by images that cause us to fall, to stray, to be soiled, and less than the beautiful washed people of God. And Jesus says that you have heard it said that you should give a certificate of divorce, but I say only for the reason of unchastity should you be divorced. That couples who have committed themselves, the man and the woman who have committed themselves to each other by the, by the blessing of God for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, throughout all of their days, as God has made them one. Honor those promises to the glory of God. You know, it has been said that Christians get cancer at the same rate as non-Christians. And sadly enough, Christians divorce at the same rate as non-Christians. It should not be so, my brothers and sisters. Honor your promises. And finally, Jesus says, you have heard it said, do not swear falsely to fulfill an oath, but I say to you, don't swear an oath at all. Why do you have to go around swearing on a stack of Bibles or say, I promise this, I swear that, I will take an oath. No, you don't need to do any of that, Jesus is saying. Simply let the words that come out of your mouth when you speak be your yes and be your no. Let your words be honest. You don't need to take an oath or make a promise. Let your words be true, Jesus says. My friends, Christianity, if we are following Jesus Christ, is not going to be easy for us, but it is a call to live the law of love. And yes, we are going to fail along the way, but that's kind of the point, isn't it? Jesus has cleared the bar for us, and our lives reflect our gratitude for who we know Jesus to be, not so that we should stop having to try but so that we should try all the more out of our deep gratitude for what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. My friends, we are not called to a picnic. Jesus is calling us to a crucifixion and a resurrection to say with Paul, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me because I have been crucified with Christ so that I may be risen with Him. So let us be those who live out of love for the one who first loved us, my friends, my brothers and sisters. Do you hear Jesus' words today? Do you hear His call of love to follow and to live the law of love, to serve, to try, and to try again, and yes, to fail, but to get up and to keep trying? Do you hear the call of the Christian life, the call that is to life that is truly life? Philip Yancey says this in his book, Church, why bother? Yes, the church fails in its mission and makes serious blunders precisely because the church compromises, comprises human beings who will always fall short of the glory of God. That's the risk God took. Anyone who enters the church expecting perfection does, does, does not understand the nature of that risk or the nature of humanity. 
Just as every romantic eventually learns that marriage is the beginning, not the end of the struggle to make love work, every Christian must learn that the church is the beginning. And then he says the composer Igor Stravinsky once wrote a piece of music that contained a very difficult violin passage. And the solo violinist finally one day came to, to uh, Stravinsky and he said that he could not play that piece of music. He had given it his best in- effort, but he found it too hard and too difficult, even unplayable. And Stravinsky replied, I understand that, but what I am after here is the sound of someone trying to play it. Perhaps that is something similar to what God had in mind for the church, and yes, what Jesus is calling us to. So let us be those who in great gratitude and by God's great grace are those who pursue that awesome and mysterious way that God has of using, yes, even us to show the world something of Himself that they too might be drawn by it to Him and know Him and give Him the glory. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.